Good afternoon. Good evening. Well, it depends where you are, because we have a special guest from the West Coast of the US this evening. It's a very special edition of the DC Comics News podcast, and we're joined by current Batgirl writer, but also novelist, musician, and all-round star Cecil Castellucci. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks. Thanks so much. I'm excited to be here. Oh, we're all very excited. With us, we have regular stalwart of the DC Comics News podcast, Mr. Brad Felicki. Hello, everybody. Hi. We have someone new to the show, our Batgirl reviewer, writer and reviewer for Fantastic Universes and for Dark Knight News, Faye Clark. Hello. And as always, we have the queen of the purse book, Miss Kelly Gaines. Hi, guys. And... All hail Z, Lady Kendra, how are you? I am well, hello guys. Good evening. Right, without any further ado though, you don't want to hear us blabber, we want to talk to the lady of the hour. Um, Cecil, thanks so much for joining us. Batgirl 50 is around the corner. We already got some shocking news about the issue, but we want to talk about all your work, obviously particularly DC because we're DC Comics News. So tell us a bit about yourself and then we'll go straight on to Brad's first question. Oh, well, sure. Uh, hi, my name is Cecil Castellucci. Um, I'm the current writer on Batgirl, which is ending with um, Batgirl 50, although Batgirl will go on <laughs> in other <laughs> books. <laughs> She's not going away. Um, uh, for DC Comics, um, I've also written uh, The Female Furies, which was set in Jack Kirby's Fourth World, um, and it was sort of a feminist awakening Me Too movement on Apocalypse, um, which I'm very, very proud of. That was with Adriana Mello. And um, also Shade the Changing Girl, which was for Gerard Way's Young Animal um, imprint, which was a reboot of Shade the Changing Man. Um, and that was with Marley Zarconi. Uh, and then I've done various one-shots, um, uh, you know, here and there with uh, with different uh, char characters like Aquaman and um, uh, and Wonder Woman. Um, so that's my DC stuff. But I also write uh, comics. I started with um, at DC, but um, on their imprint called Minx uh, with a book called The Plain Janes, which actually actually just uh, reemerged. It just came out again. Me and Jim Rugg, who's my collaborator on that, we got to finish the story that we wanted to tell. It just came out on Little Brown this uh, past year. Uh, in January, and um, that's about an all-girl guerrilla art group that does street art and art and activism, and that's how I got my start in comics. Fantastic. Brad, let's start with the crown of questions. Off you go, brother. Uh, you know, you have delved and worked in so many different mediums, music, film. How, how do each of those kind of influence the other? Like, does your approach to music, does that influence how you write comics? at all how does that all that's a great question you know I, I guess I didn't even mention that I just talked about comics but it's true I write opera librettos I was in a punk band uh, I've done um, uh, yeah, films uh, little short films and stuff uh, um, uh, for me the way um, that I think of what I really want to do is I want to be a storyteller and um, for me, um, all of these different mediums are um, ways to tell stories. So the best way that I can explain it is the way that um, if you were a, a, a visual artist and you were going on a picnic and you brought your pencils or watercolors or charcoals and you did a, a pleasant drawing of, of your picnic scene, 
depending on which um, instrument you used, the the story of your pleasant picnic would be different, right? If it were charcoal or watercolor or pencil, uh, crayons, whatever. And I feel the same way with opera, mu- uh, punk rock music, uh, comic books, novels. Um, I aspire to be a play. Um, you know, that all of these different mediums, it's just sort of like using a different tool in your art um, box. You. So what I usually do is... Um, when I get an idea for a story, I try to figure out what is the best way to tell this story. And then I tell it in that way. So I might have an idea that I think is a novel or, you know, maybe one day I'll have an idea and I'll be like, this is a movie or a TV show or a play or, you know, an experimental performance art piece, you know? Um, And so I really, even if it's not something I've done before, I try to listen to the story and see the way that, uh, that it wants to be told. Cool, thank you. Very cool. Faye, I know you're bursting to ask your questions. I mean, yeah, uh, as a reviewer of the the Batgirl series on the Dark Knight News at the moment, I have most of my questions revolving around that series. So I'm just going to go straight in with those. Um, Obviously, knowing that you've written quite a lot more other characters and stuff what was your first reaction when you heard you got to write Batgirl did you need to do any research or were you already a fan of her character well I was already a fan of her characters I mean obviously when I grew up you know I mean I fell in love with comics and uh, came to comics from watching the Adam West Batman TV show and obviously Yvonne Craig's Batgirl imprinted greatly on me um and, you know, so I've always been a fan and I've always thought that um, that she was really cool. Uh, when I knew that I was going to start writing Batgirl, I went back and I read I went and read everything, you know, all of her Bronze Age stuff back to the beginning. And so um, you can see that, like a lot of the stuff that, you know, I touch on, which I'm, you know, I'm pulling through from what Marigrid Scott did when, when mm-hmm. she was doing you know, the stuff with Jason Bard, the stuff with Congresswoman Alejo, you know, those stem from what I learned about Barbara and her character from her origins, you know, that, um, and that's what I'm really interested in. For example, like when I did Shade the Changing Girl, I looked back to, or Female Furies, I looked back to the past to sort of see what I can infuse in, um, in the, in the new ways and to get cues from the character. So I always like to do my homework and research. Um, but then there are also things that, you know, you just have to kind of go with because there's events going here and there and, you know, your best laid plans are (laughs) taken over by something dramatic that happens, you know, but yeah, I do, I do love to do research, but I knew the character. Amazing. Brilliant. Kelly. Actually, my first question, because you just brought up Shade the Changing Man, that was one of my favorite comics. And then that immediately drew me into Shade the Changing Girl, which I loved. What was your, um, what would you say the biggest element that you wanted to bring from Shade the Changing Man into Shade the Changing Girl was? Well, you know, it's interesting because um, I had known about Shade the Changing Man. Maybe I'd read like one or two issues, you know, a couple of issues back in the day. I was a Sandman girl, you know, Animal Man. Um, And so um, uh, so I knew the character, but I didn't really know it. And so then, of course, when I got, you know, when I got the job, you know, after interviewing with Gerard Way and and Shelley Bond, um, I, you know, I knew um, that uh, one thing I felt in Shade the Changing Man not only the Milligan run, but also the Ditko run, was that everything was very human centric. And so I knew that I wanted to make my shade be an alien and really have aliens be a part of the meta 
culture, which is the planet that um, that she's from. So I think I got the gig because I said to Gerard, uh, I said, well, she's a bird. She's a bird that's in a girl's body. And um, and he was like, oh, yeah, she's a bird. <laughs> I think that sealed the deal. Um, but the other thing was in rereading or in reading um, Ditko's version and um, and Milligan's entire run, what I noticed about Milligan's version is that it really explores the darkness of humanity. It really is like very, it delves into you know, the, um, the, the darkest part of our hearts. And so I wanted to sort of stake, um, a new claim, uh, you know, with shade and because I wasn't doing rack shade and I had my own shade Loma, um, I decided that the landscape that I would, you know, plant me and Marley would plant our flag on would be the landscape of the heart so that it was in contrast, but sort of complementary to what Milligan and what Ditko had done before. So that's what I wanted to uh, bring to shade. Awesome. That's so cool. Thank you. You've answered half my questions, you two. Kendra, what's your question? You've written for so many powerful voices in the female community, but mine is going to go into Star Wars territory. Great. (laughs) What was it like being the voice of Leia and adding another layer of canon with Target? Yeah. That was, I mean, I just got goosebumps even when you said it, because I still can't believe that I got to write Leia. Um, You know, I'm a huge Star Wars fan. I don't know if you know this about me, but I lived on a street in a tent for six weeks waiting for Star Wars Episode One. I'm a diehard. I've got a Queen Amidala tattoo. I'm like, you know, I love Star Wars. You know, I've had my... my, uh, my love hate relationship with, with it and stuff, but writing, uh, writing star Wars. I mean, it was the reason why I became a writer when I saw, um, you know, a new hope, um, and spoiler alert, Darth Vader goes spinning off, uh, at the end. It was the first time that I understood that stories could continue and it was someone's job to write that next story. And that was the moment that was my origin story as a, as a writer. Um, so I felt very nervous. Um, it was also before The Force Awakens came out. So um, nobody really knew how that was going to go, you know, if it was going to go well or if it wasn't. Uh, so there were a lot of secrets. I didn't know a lot of things that that were going on. So um, what I really tried to do and um, and and Jason Fry, who knew more than I did about what was going on, because he'd written so many of their encyclopedias for planets and, you know, sort of more in the in the Star Wars family. So he was like, the, the 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 person who came in and helped with uh with all of that uh stuff um but what my mission was was to really try to show moving target takes place between empire strikes back and return of the jedi to really show how leia becomes who she is and her fundamental struggle which is between uh her duty and her heart and how she reconciles those two things and how she realizes that the heart is part of her duty, that if you don't care for your heart, then your duty is meaningless, you know, in in this sort of grand battle. So um, that was what I just sort of laser focused my uh, attention to um, uh, when when writing uh, when writing Leia. Um, And uh, to, you know, and for me, one of the big things that I was really proud of was in Moving Target. There's a really, um, I think, beautiful scene between Mon Mothma and uh, um, and Leia you know, where they talk about this very thing, you know, and um, to me, that was a really powerful moment because it was these two sort of legends in the rebellion, you know, sort of, um, uh, you know, mothering each other in a way, you know. Um, uh, so, yeah, that, that was it, it was incredible and 
completely terrifying. I'm so glad that we have to mute ourselves because if y'all had had to listen to my inner great like geek yes, girl squeal, <laughs> I am I'm so honored because Star Wars is huge for me. It's what for me as well has gotten me into my love of writing and my love of comics. So beautiful and thank you for giving us that canon for her because it was a beautiful novel thank you thank you so much and i know jason is um grateful as well thank you both again these guys have stolen all my questions obviously but anyone growing up in our era who saw star wars not a new hope star wars on the big screen when it first came out it changed our lives forever so that was brilliant thank you cecil so yeah i was also wanted to ask you because i saw several shades of ditko in your shade the change you got but you've answered that question too so what i'm gonna do is i'm gonna ask a question by uh, from saint sean blumenshine who reviews batgirl for dc comics news our sister site and he says that you're on Batgirl played with many different genres fantasy inspired dungeons and dragons horror there's a lot to see batgirl uh, it was great to see Batgirl doing so much different stuff and playing these different styles and it gave us some really original stories so what inspired you to bring those genres in again were you fans of of, of those games and those kind of uh, fiction growing up as well well i do i mean i do i play dungeons and dragons and i have since i was um little um uh uh my um you know it's a little bit of a mix of things right so uh when i came in um, I came in when Mergrid left, which was right at the year of the villain. So I was tasked with having Oracle be this, you know, AI robot um, uh, that was, you know, based on her sort of algorithmic, uh, you know, ones and zeros um, and stuff. So, um, you know, so that was that was sort of the sci-fi, like, you know, whatever. And for me, I really found it to be an opportunity to really think about um Barbara, you know, if you're going to fight a robot named Oracle, um, which I made very clear, she is like, you're not my legacy. That's not what Oracle is, um, because I felt uncomfortable <laughs> with that as a, you know, as a, as a fan. Um, so uh, but what I thought that Oracle, the robot could teach her was kind of the way that we are in this world, like with all the algorithms that um, that sort of make predictions about what we're going to do or what we're going to like or what we're going to you know, watch and stuff. And so um, for me, in my mind, uh, you know, it was it, it was her having to um, break some of the patterns that that she has so that she could never be, um, you know, uh, tripped up by her own tactics ever again. You know, so for me, this is this is where she sort of comes into her year of yes, in my mind, um, which is why even in that Oracle uh, section, she um she says sort of yes to Jason Barr because that's something she would never do. And that is sort of like her kind of cracking herself open to be different. One of the things that I love about Barbara Gordon Batgirl is that she is one of the most resilient characters that there is, right? She never thinks that, um, she doesn't think like, oh, she always thinks how can I continue to be a hero in whatever state I'm in, right? If I'm, if I'm in the chair, if I'm a librarian, you know, um, if I'm a daughter, if I'm uh, if I'm a Batgirl, like how can I? If I'm a Congresswoman's assistant, how can I continue to be of service? And um and 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 she's very resilient. She's capable of learning and growing. I feel like maybe Batman and some of the other bats don't really learn those lessons. Just between you and me. Oh but, yes. Um, but I feel like Batgirl really is constantly sort of uh you know 
longing for growth and um, and her capacity for empathy and uh, change is enormous. And so um, so that was something. Um, you know, when when you're doing something that is in the DC universe, you are sort of beholden to the other things that are happening um, in there. And so um, when uh, when you know I had to do this two issue story. And uh, they assigned me, and I'm totally blanking now because now I'm on the on the the pressure. Uh, they assigned me this villain that um, had shown up, I think, in Teen Titans, and um, who was uh, George R. R. Martin kind of uh, writer. Uh, and um, I just thought, well, if you're gonna give me George R. R. Martin as a writer as the enemy, well, then there's gonna be a dragon. Like you can't not have a dragon, you know. So um, Hell so then. Yeah. Yeah, and so then I like said to my editor, you know, there's gonna be a dragon, and she was like, yeah, we'll put a dragon on the cover, and um, so that was that was that. And one of my missions for um, Batgirl, and the trouble is, is that you know, like I said, when you're doing a, a main character, but one that is you know, um, not driving the engine of the DC universe, sometimes you don't get as many issues to sort of explore things as you want, but um. In the subsequent after the um, after the uh, the the dragon issue um, with the fantasy stuff, which I also thought was a really great way to have her and Jason Bard sort of bond, you know, on something um, and uh, and sort of like, you know, in that in those two issues, it's all about the heart and change and growth and. Um, and all for both of them. And I think, um, you know, if you know the history of Jason Bard and, and, and Barbara Gordon, um, they've both done a lot of harm to each other. And so um, I had to figure out a way to have them come together because obviously Dick Grayson was not on the scene. He's, he's, he didn't even know who she was anymore because he was Rick Grayson. So, um, so then, you know, I really wanted, Batgirl doesn't really have her own rogues gallery. And so um, I wanted to try to, you know, sort of bring in some villains that could, uh, you know, sort of be uh, part of what is important to her, right? A great villain for a character is a, uh, a villain that sort of um, pokes upon the things that are important to the character. So Dasha, the woman with the metal, you know, uh, clean energy, you know, Barbara Gordon had her company, Gordon Clean Energy, Green Energy, you know, she's very into that. So, you know, if I had had my druthers, I would have done that as a six issue arc so that we could have like gotten into like all the cool stuff and really developed that character and really, you know, whatever. And, um, you know, um, and there's a, there's a, there's a new villain that I introduce in issue 50 that has just a cameo. Me and, um, it's in the, one of the backups, you know, and I hope someone takes, um, takes her. It's a, it's a character called Vi Ross and, um, you know, she's like a virus, you know, which we're all dealing with. And, um, you know, which is also part of computers and hacking and stuff like that. And it's very small, but, you know, my sort of goal was to try to give maybe future writers of Batgirl, if they're doing their research, to go back and be like, huh, how can I, how can I explode this out and do something cool with this? Because I think that's what we do as comic book writers. We look to the past to see what little, what little things we, what little threads we can pluck on, you know? Um, so, uh, so, and also I'm just a fan of, um, all things geeky. <laughs> I think that's all five of us, isn't it? Oh, well, you can't, really? really, you, you, you don't have any more questions? <laughs> oh, we've got hundreds of questions, Great. believe me, we could be here all night. Brad, your turn, my brother. 
I love Joker War, and I think my favorite parts of Joker War were the Batgirl issues. So they were the ones that I was always looking forward to the most in reading. And I'm curious when the editors or, you know, the powers that be come at you and they say, hey, we're going to do this crossover project. Do you find that confining? And how much freedom were you given uh, within the whole bigger Joker War story to create your own kind of vision? Yeah, it's it's really hard because you have to fit in there. But at a certain point, um, you also have to kind of do something on your own, you know. So um, for me, I, you know, I knew that I was ending like that Batgirl was ending. I thought maybe it would end a couple of issues later, but this had been planned for a while. So I had, you know, oh, yeah, I'm going to try to do this. I'm going to try to do that. I'm going to try to do this. And then it's like, oh, we're doing the Joker War. And I got an image that was the Joker knocking on uh, Barbara's door. And as you can well imagine, um, I was very nervous about that, you know, um, because, you know, I understood how that tied into the to the bigger Joker war. But, you know, when you have the Joker coming over to Barbara Gordon's house, um, you know, that that's very um, fraught and very infused with a lot of trauma and history. So um, I kind of I kind of made a decision to just sort of focus on Barbara and Batgirl and, you know, and have the bigger things of Gotham sort of being affected. But I knew that she was going to be showing up in the other books. They were going to, you know, they were going to use her in the ways that they were going to use her. So it, it kind of gave me a freedom in a way in this, you know, confinement to um, to just sort of. Um, take care of Barbara and try to bring Barbara to the, um, to the end of her run right now, you know, um, so that she can be sort of, um, uh, prepared for whatever future, um, she's going to have. So yeah, it is difficult. Um, but that is part of the gig. Like that's what you sign up for. Like every, every, you never know what's going to, you know, come down the pike. Um, but for me, for the Joker war, um, it was important that Barbara address, her trauma with the Joker and kind of, um, you know, uh, put in, put an end to his sort of hold over her, um, in, in that way where she sort of, you know, flipped the, the script on him and as much as I could to try to have it be a sort of feminist response. And I just want to give a shout out to Robbie Rodriguez because him and me and my editor, um, Jessica Chen had a really long conversation on the phone about it and about, how we could sort of mirror and echo some of the um, things from uh, The Killing Joke to um, really bring that together. And I think Robbie did a really masterful job with that. And um, and also, I think, you know, just moving into sort of doing a lot of resolution um, for, you know, uh, uh, you know, the, the Gordon family saga, um, which has been sort of dragging on for a very, very, very long time, you know, and, you know, obviously James Gordon Jr. is a very mentally ill, you know, young man and um, has been pretty much tortured his entire existence, you know. Um, and so, uh, uh, you know, I think that, um, yeah, I, it was just uh, it, it was very hard to do that. And I kind of wish that I'd had like six issues to really tease out that whole story um, because I think that there's a lot of nuances that uh, about mental illness and stuff that get kind of um, flattened 
you know, when you only have two issues to sort of do something, you can't, you know, but hopefully, um, I think because Barbara is capable of learning and change that she's learned a lot uh, about that. Anyways, I don't know if that answered your question. Brilliant. Yeah, it definitely did. Thank you. Thank you. That's an amazing answer. Great questions, guys. Kelly, I see you've been on fire to ask your next question. Go for it. With um with the killing joke, when um you know when that happened, it sort of became an event that overshadowed the way we as fans perceived Barbara Gordon for a while, um, and took away a little bit of that strength and her sort of individual storyline. Um, but the way you addressed it in Batgirl and in the Joker War managed to give us back that agency and give us back that um, that strength of her character. So going forward, as other writers take on Batgirl, what would you what would you tell them as the most important thing to take away from from your run in keeping that kind of new uh, empowered perspective? Well, I think that, that's a great question, and 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 thank you very very much. Um, it, you know, uh, I think having to have Oracle as a robot enemy and also have the Joker knock on her door <laughs> it was a lot, you know. Um, but uh, the one thing that I would want a writer to take away from um, my run of Batgirl, and I think that I set this up in issue fifty, um, is that she needs to be the center of her own story, um, you know, uh, rather than being pulled into other people's stories that she's got her own sort of stories to tell, which goes back to the rogues gallery and that, um, she can be Batgirl with or without, uh, the use of her legs. The implant can be there or not. She's going to be a hero, no matter, no matter what happens. And, um, you know, and, and I think that I try to set up that she knows that it's a, a a ticking clock with that. And she's fine with that. She's fine. She knows how to fight with or without it in the Joker war, uh, in the Joker war, um, in, in my issue 47, um, uh, I hope that I make it very clear that she has set up her apartment and her life so that if that implant butts out, she still can fight and that she can fight from the ground or standing up, um, you know, or from the chair, uh, that um, that she she has a lot a lot of tools at her disposal, um, and she also has her heart. You know, um, one of the things about the history of Batgirl is that she was kind of like AOC. You know, she was the youngest congresswoman. Um, you know, at the at the she was a congresswoman. You know, for a long time, and that was part of her feminist stuff. So she can be a hero in a different way too. Um, and so I hope that you know, whomever, um, you know, moves forward with Batgirl down the line, whenever they bring her back for her own title, that that person really takes a look at the really robust different ways that Barbara Gordon slash Batgirl slash Oracle slash Congress person um, can, um, can, can be a hero and, um, and move down the line and that nothing, nothing can tamp her down in, um, in her, in her doing her service to Gotham. Awesome. Nice. Vote President Batgirl, I say. <laughs> I mean, my dream, I mean, oh, I would have loved it. Why not? She could have been like mayor, you know, or something. I'm like there. That's, I'm invested. Know, do that, next person. <laughs> <laughs> Faye, as Batgirl reviewer, I know you were on the edge of your seat for your next question. 
Yeah, I mean, I just wanted to say that I completely agree with the team. The Joke Awards uh, issues of Batgirl have been some of my favourite single issues to ever read of a comic, like, ever. They were completely outstanding. And every time I read them, I would just go to Steve and be like, uh, how? Why? What did they, why? Why would you do this to me? <laughs> like, as a reader. But at the same time, I wanted to say thank you for doing that to me, because, it, again, it's one of the best single issue runs that I've read in a very long time. So I'm very happy that you you managed to, to get that initial reaction out of us Thank as readers uh, I, hope, that's okay. I, I, think, I hope that you like issue 52 because I really try to to bring it to bring it all home and um you know uh, uh you know Emanuela Lapucciano um Anike and Marguerite Sauvage um you know uh, I think you'll see that all three stories really sort of complete what I sort of had as my unsaid mission to, you know, mm-hmm. sort of set Barbara up, um, that girl up to sort of just blossom and bloom into the, you know, the, the, uh, the adult woman that she is now. Yes. Uh, my question was, because I know that Batgirl has such a strong inner monologue and you write it absolutely amazingly. There are like some one off lines that might be for some other people throw away lines, but they're the ones that stick with me in my head. And I just I'm wondering how that converses into other characters. Like, have you had anyone else with such a strong inner monologue? Did you really struggle writing that kind of thing or? Um, you know, I mean, I feel like Shade had a, had a, a, an inner monologue, uh, you know, a lot. I feel like Loma, Loma did. Um, I think with Batgirl, one thing that I noticed was the, the only thing that I think I really changed from the way that the other masters, you know, (laughs) who did Batgirl before me, um, is that, um, I, I, I tried to do less inner monologue than they did. So I tried to use it like a fine spice rather than as the sort of driving, the, uh, the the driving force um and so you know so for me it's like I always was like oh gosh am I doing enough you know because I'm, I'm just like throw this out throw that out throw this out you know like um because I, I didn't want her to rely on it too much and I felt like there was an opportunity to do that because my run you know when you look at Batgirls usually Batgirl um a lot of the time in in her issues are spent with Jim Gordon, and I didn't have Jim because they were mad at each. She was mad at him. He had been infected, like all of that stuff. And so I felt like I had this real freedom because he wasn't there to be able to kind of do something a little different than we than we normally would. So so I I I, I kept her monologue a little sparser. But thank you. Maybe that's why I got those good one liners in there. <laughs> That's okay. I do want to add that you said that you, you know, you took from the masters before you and you can definitely add your name to that list now. There is no doubt about that at all. Thank you. That means a lot. It really means a lot. Here, here. Kendra, your next question. Uh, mine, my next one comes from the sci-fi world as well. Um, you had a part in the anthology for Star Trek Waypoint. Yes. Uh, where you did a story in Janeway's world. Um I mean, no, first of all, Deep Space Nine. Deep Space Nine. Forgive me. I'm That's just okay. a fan of, of Janeway. <laughs> so I, um, yeah, yeah, I get that. <laughs> but what was it like to write for not only one major uh, pinnacle in the sci-fi world, but for another? And do you have a favorite? Um, I no, I don't. I love both stars equally. Um, I love Star Trek so much, and I love Star Wars so much. Um, basically anything in space, I love so much. So I can never choose a favorite. Um, they're both my favorites. Um, it was incredible. Uh, so for I did Deep Space Nine, which is um, 
which is uh, my favorite old older show uh, is Deep Space Nine. Um, but uh, now I'm really loving Discovery. So I don't know. They might they might have to have a little a little a little fist fight or something. But um, what was really great was that I got to uh, invent a Bajoran um, ritual that had been uh, squashed um, because of the Cardassian rule, you know, um, and it was called a mother's walk where part of the tradition of Bajoran women is you become a certain age and then you have to walk with the women in your family. You do a walk and it's, you know, part of their tradition and nobody did it anymore because when the women tried to do it, when the Cardassians came, they would hang the women and, you know, so nobody did it anymore. And, you know, Kira is feeling very upset. She's on the space station and, you know, on Deep Space Nine. And it's time for her to do her walk. And she doesn't have anyone to walk with. And everybody on the ship decide on the station says, I'm like, you know, like, um, you know, they're all like, well, I'm I'm like your confidant or I'm like your sister. Or I'm like your your mother, you know. And so they all are like Cisco's like, I'm like your mother. You know, I'm a mentor. So they all decide to like um, walk with her. And so she can sort of bring this tradition back. And. You know, I mean, I cried when I when I wrote it. Megan Levins, who drew it, was crying. I think, um, you know, Sarah Gatos, who edited, was crying. And then, I mean, I think even the licensing people were crying because I think it's a really beautiful story. And then it came out the week of the Women's March after the last election. And it was like, <laughs> it was like, and then I cried again, you know, because it was so meaningful and it was so relevant. So as I have tears in my eyes now, um, I feel like, you know, I don't know that anybody will ever, you know, um, uh, you know, pick up on that in any way. But for me to be able to add something that was so rich, so powerful, so relevant, so feminist uh, into, you know, Star Trek um, in a small, small way, you know, that maybe not a lot of people will see, um, you know, uh, what meant the world to me. And now I'm trying not to cry. This has gone from like super high roller coaster to oh my gosh. <laughs> but I mean, I'll, it's, I'll it's, cheer you up, Kendra. I'll it's say those. I mean, and I appreciate that, Steve. I'll expect hugs. Uh, and I'll, I'll <laughs> cheer you up as well by saying that damn those Kardashians, Chloe, what? Kim. They, 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 what are they like destroying the the beliefs of someone else whose name starts with k kira Nari starts with a k leave her alone don't squash her traditions damn you kardashians anyway no let's get back to serious talk i do apologize um i have to ask uh, as as a long-time comics fan cypher fan movie fan we're both from the same era with batgirl do you think that maybe she's outgrown that name, the way that Robin became Nightwing, um, the way Troyer, Wonder Girl, everyone else, but the Batwoman name's taken. Is there a different way forward that you would have maybe have liked to have written for Barbara in the future? Well, I mean, I think that they did that already, right? She was Oracle. That was her, that was her evolution. So, I mean, you know, they did that. And that's still there for her, you know, um, in, in, in any way. So I, I, I mean, I, you know, I do think that, and I do think that, um, you know, she's, she's, I don't want to say outgrown Batgirl because I think that Batgirl is also a part of who, who she is, you know, and, and I don't think that, I, I don't, 
think that girl is a diminutive in a terrible way, you know, all the time. And I think that it depends on whether or not you let it be or if you take ownership of it. And I think that that girl, Barbara, does take ownership of it. Um, but um, but I think I think that they already did that with Oracle. So my answer would be that yes, but and <laughs> so maybe someone will, you know, pick that up again. And who knows, you know, she may end up back in the chair someday maybe she'll be oracle again you know well we're seeing part of that in in james tynan's batman run she's definitely there is more than tech support at the end of the joker which is beautiful to see exactly and i think so. you'll see you'll see a little something like that um in um in issue 50 uh, my story with um annika um uh is um uh is is like that as well you know it's it's her sort of assembling the um, batgirls uh, you know, are, are in there. Cass Kane and um, and uh, Stephanie Brown are there along with the Birds of Prey. So um, and they have a, a small sort of strategic uh, meeting, uh, uh, you know, and it's a short story called uh, Games Girl with Annika. And Annika just blew it out of the park. It's amazing. We cannot wait. Brad, you're next. You've contributed to Star Wars, Star Trek, DC Universe, so many incredible franchises. Is there any franchise that you would like to work with if you have it that you could give your your spin on? I mean, I am I love the book and the movie and the old TV show Logan's Run, and um, I would love more than anything and I mean now I I mean I guess I'm I'm I, I would have been like you know killed in in in, in uh, you know my 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 uh my crystal would have would be black by now but um but Logan's run is something that um that I you know that I've always uh that I you know always um would uh love to take a crack at thank you Faye you're up Oh, goodness, you've put me on the spot. I think I may have almost run out of questions. <laughs> um, so I just wanted to touch on the fact that when you're obviously writing Batgirl, there are a lot of like secondary characters and a lot of uh, her friends that we see. Do you get to choose what their storylines are? Is that completely left to you? Or do they have sort of like, you know, someone else is woven in and they have something that they're they're looking forward to those characters having in the future? You know, it's hard because um, you're kind of dealt a hand uh, and sometimes that's a good way and sometimes it's a bad way. But sometimes it's um, sometimes you, you know, you say, oh, can I can I can I have her hang out with this person, at, you know, from another book? And it's like, well, no, you can't because that person is now, you know, like whatever, like, you know, can she team up with Supergirl to like fight something in the Oracle in the, you know, you're the villain. Well, no, Supergirl's infected. <laughs> oh, crap, she is like, what, you know, so things like that, you know, that, um, or, you know, like, I can't do anything with Dick Grayson, really, because, you know, he, he you know, he's, he's, he's Rick, you know, so, um, or at the time, and now he's back. But, um, so, you know, and then, um, you know, she had lost her business, so she was on the outs with Elisa, and you know what I mean. There are all these things that you know you're sort of you're sort of okay. Well, maybe if I get to do another ten issues, I can pick that back up and and stuff. So I mean, that would have been great. Um, I did try to bring Frankie, you know, um, in um, um, you know in, in in a small way, and and you know she you know she has a phone call with her, uh, you know, in in I think issue forty eight. Um, so. Uh, 
you know, you, you try to bring things in that way a little bit, but you know, the world that I was in is that, you know, Alejo is her life. She's working for Alejo, you know, Izzy's, Izzy's the, you know, the sort of kooky girl at the, at the office, um, which I didn't even feel like I got to do very much with Izzy, which I wish I, if I had had more time would have, you know, liked to have developed Izzy. Um, so, you know, I have Jason Bard. Okay. Let's see, you know, what can I do with that? But then I have the Joker war. And when I started, I was in Gear of the Villain, uh, Leviathan and City of Bane. So I had, I was in three crossover events at the same time. So you don't really get a lot of time to just sort of like have people kick back and like go to a rock show. And, you know, although I did do that, you know, they, they don't get to do, um, you know, as much as, as much as you like. So I think the hope is always that you, you, you take all these characters from the past or you, you have all these ideas and you kind of note them down. And then as the, as the initiatives sort of get thrown at you, you see which, which things you can pluck from. And if I had gone further, if we had continued with Batgirl, then, you know, there would be a million more things that I could have like brought up. I could have maybe brought Dasha back, you know, as an enemy, I could have brought Gordon clean energy back. I could have brought Elisa, you know, it's all these things that you can, that you can sort of play with. What you want to do is you want to give yourself as many threads that you can pull on. So, um, yeah. Oh, thank you very much. Nice. Kelly. So I, I mean, I guess kind of branching off of everything that, that Babs has to offer and all the threads that you can pull, if you could write a story about her in any historical time period ever for her to just bring that like Batgirl energy to, what do you think you would pick? In any historical, in any historical time period, I think I'd like to go back to the 70s. I think that would be really cool to like do Batgirl like from her origins when she started with like the, you know, the the Equal Rights Amendment and the, you know, Women's Lib and like all of that. I think that would be really, really fun, um, especially with her, you know, being, uh, you know, the youngest um uh, you know, uh, Congresswoman and being Congresswoman by day, Batgirl at night and her, um, her, her sort of, um, cheeky love, uh, you know, relationship with, uh, with, um, Robin, cause he's not Nightwing at that point. He's Robin, um, you know, who's going to Hudson college, you know? Um, so, uh, I think, um, I think that would be really, really fun place to, to sort of do like a little six issue mini reboot of, you know, of Batgirl in that era. Oh, I, I want that now. I want that yeah. to happen now. <laughs> I awesome. want that. That's when I was reading comics at the beginning too. That's, yeah. Yes. Amazing. I just think that there's something that you can really do, you know, um, sometimes when you set things in the past that, you know, um, like that they have sort of a relevance to, um, they can shine a lens on what's happening now, you know, um, and, and how things have changed and how things haven't changed. And um, I think it would be, I think it would be really cool. Yeah, absolutely. Kendra, I can hear your mental gears ticking, even though I can't see you, you're up. You would be absolutely correct. They are grinding away. You had <laughs> brought up earlier that one of the things that you would love to do that you haven't had the chance to do is to be a playwright. Yeah. And that sparks my question, because if you were given full access and freedom to modernize or retell any play that is available, what would you choose? Whoa. Whoa. 
Well, that is a very, that's a complex, complicated question. I mean, obviously I'd be interested in, you know, taking some Shakespeare. I, I happen to uh, have been in um, at London uh, last year, was it? I mean, I was just there in February, but um, uh, I saw uh, the Midsummer Night's Dream at the Bridge Theater where they swapped um, they swapped uh, uh, genders of Oberon and Titania, uh, and it was with um, uh, uh, G G Gwendolyn Christie uh, from Game of Thrones, um, and that was masterful and just a completely new take on it. I also saw their Julius Caesar there at uh, at the Bridge. Um, so I think Shakespeare is always ripe for that kind of stuff. Um, but I think that there, there's a playwright named, um, Horton Foote. Uh, and, uh, I saw this, um, this play cycle series that he did called the, um, the, uh, the widow Claire in 1918 and Valentine's day. Um, and, uh, I haven't reread them in a long time, but as soon as you said that, I was like, you know what? I'd probably want to like dig deep into those plays again and see, you know, if I could, um, if I could do something with them. But I mean, you know, I think, I don't know. I have 50 million ideas for plays. Um, and, uh, but I think the ones that you could have a lot of fun with, um, are, you know, if you, if you, when you take classics and you, um, and you do something new with them, I saw, um, this really amazing, uh, uh, in February when I was in London, um, at the Young Vic, um, it was a play called Nora and it was, uh, based on, um, uh, uh, oh gosh, I can, you know, it was a doll's house by, is that Strindberg? Who, who is that? Yeah. Um, and it was uh, this incredible performance where, um, you had Nora, like the main character is Nora and it was the exact text of a doll's house but they had three different women playing Nora during three different time periods. So one Nora was from the time period that she was in. One was from the 1960s and one was from today. And it was the way that women, these same words are said by women in different times. And I thought that was just masterful. So I'd love to do shit like that. Sorry, stuff like that, where, um, where, you know, you kind of take something and you kind of try to like put a new lens on it. Do you have a podcast? Because I could listen to you explain things all day. No. All no. day. What Kendra said. I'm, with... <laughs> I'm entirely Absolutely. serious. Thanks. <laughs> Fantastic. I like, I like making art. Something that you've also done throughout the, this show is you've really been so vocal and uh, positive about all the amazing artists you've worked with. And I like to write, ask every writer I interview this question. Do you still get that huge buzz when the finished artwork arrives in your inbox and you look at it and you think, wow, this is awesome. And has been a particular occasion where an artist has just completely blown your mind and gone above and beyond. Oh. I mean, yes, I, it never gets old ever because, um, it's such a collaboration, your work, um, you know, with the artists and, you know, I should say with, uh, with Batgirl, I didn't mention Carmine Giamenico. I didn't mention Kian Tormi. Um, so I'm giving shout outs to them. Um, there are a lot of, there were a lot of artists on Batgirl. Um, it never gets old. I just got art, um, from Mirka Andolfo, her and I are doing a, a little 10 page story for the um, DC Metal uh, last stories, you know, for, for that, that whole thing. 
And it's, it just, I mean, blows me away. And I think everyone's going to be, like, I don't, I can't say what characters I'm doing, but trust me, it's, it's going to be pretty cool. Um, and um, yeah, it, it never gets old because it's a collaboration because um, you and, uh, and the artist are um, telling the story together. I mean, look, Marley just called me, right? Um, when we were doing Shade, I mean, Marley and I, I mean, you know, most of the time with the artists that I work with, we text, we talk, you know, with Marley, it sort of went beyond. It was like, we fell in love with each other. Um, and like, you know, when she would be inking, um, because I knew that it, you know, it's a long process being the artist on a comic book. And so sometimes I would, um, I would uh, FaceTime with her and I would, uh, you know, pour myself a glass of wine and I would just sit with her for an hour or two while she was inking so that she wasn't alone. You know, I mean, like, you know, um, uh, you know, not every artist, the relationship is like that, but you know, with many, like, uh, there was a problem that I had with, um, issue, I think 48 where, um, I had misnumbered my, my scripts and nobody caught it. So my script was 21 pages long and not 20 pages long, you know, which obviously is a problem because I don't have 21 pages. And I was so proud of myself with that issue. I was like, ah, I got it. And I got to do everything I wanted. And like, this is the like, pacing is perfect and like whatever. And then I get a text from Robbie and Robbie's like, Cecil, I think, I think there's 21 pages. And I was like, what? No. And then I looked and I was like, oh my God. And that is fixable if you have a great relationship and a great collaboration with the artist that you're working with, because then him and I, we just rapidly texted each other about what the important parts of the story were, what was essential. And then he, you know, he said, let me think on it. And then he makes a proposal and comes back to me with it. And, you know, that's, you can't do that if you and the artist aren't, aren't working together and sort of committed to telling the best story that you can in comics. Obviously, it doesn't happen every single time, but I have to say, I mean, I've worked with some of the best artists on the entire planet, everyone on Batgirl, um, you know, Marley, Jim Rugg, Nate Powell, uh, I mean, uh, Sarah Veron. I mean, I really, I, I, would, I would work with all of them again in a heartbeat. Amazing. Um, I'm lost for words. That's, that's more than answered my question. That's fantastic. Brilliant. Brad, um, wow, uh, um, I need to rest. Your turn. <laughs> this is kind of a, a two-part question. Uh, with Female Furies, was that a pitch that you had made, or did they come to you? And also, you know, because, you, you know, you worked with, like you were saying, all these crossovers. Have you ever considered going to D.C. and, and pitching like a standalone Batgirl limited series, maybe for Black Label or something that you did not get to tell in your run? Um, well, to answer your first question, uh, I had finished Shade and um, I was looking for the opportunity to do something new at DC Comics, right? I didn't have anything lined up and um, I happened to be in the office and um, and Dan DiDio was, you know, there at the time and, um, and, uh, for, you know, I, I got ushered into his office to say hello. And, um, I had come prepared. I had gone through the DC encyclopedia and, um, uh, you know, had said, uh, you know, came prepared with like different characters that I thought I could reboot in some way. And, um, and, you know, I was like, what about this character? And he was like, oh, Jeff Lemire is doing that. Or what about this character? Oh, you know, this guy is doing that. Oh, what about this one? That guy's doing this, you know? And I was like, Pfft. and I purposely not brought in 
the female furies because Tom King was doing Mr. Miracle. And I just thought, well, that's a huge, like no one's going to let me do the female furies. So I'm not even going to put that on the table. And, um, every single thing, you know, like that I tried or like, you know, Dan was like, I want you to think like this. And he gave me all these examples of upcoming books that were coming and, and sort of relating them to different TV shows and stuff. And everything was very male. And I just rolled my eyes and I was like, where's your handmaid's tale? How come you don't have a handmaid's tale in there? And he opened up the encyclopedia, pointed at the female furies and was like, if you can figure out the handmaid's tale and female furies, then we can have a conversation. And um, I was like, okay, well, I know the female furies, but you know, uh, and so he gave me the omnibus of the fourth world and said, do your homework. So I went, read it all and pitched a very handmaid's tale. My first pitch was very, Handmaid's Tale, because if you've read The Fourth World, there's a lot of sort of DNA stuff in there. And like, you know, um, and uh, and he and, you know, they were all kind of like, wow, this is really great. No one's ever thought of <laughs> you're totally right. No one's ever thought of this. But it's also the most depressing thing <laughs> like ever. Um, and at that, you know, the Me Too movement was sort of happening. And so then we sort of had this conversation about, you know, what if what if we simplified this idea and what if, you know, what if we um, made it the Me Too movement? And as soon as that even came up in the conversation, I was like, oh, my God, you're totally like what? Like, I guess I had to, like, do all this homework, do all this research, do all this stuff and then sort of um, throw it out in order to be able to sort of do that. So I took uh, Kirby's Mr. Miracle issue number. I think it's nine. I think it's eight. And um there's this one female fury who runs away and um, and named Aurelie. And um, that is how Scott and uh, Barda meet uh, for the first time when they both are sort of in that thing. And I just saw within that issue a whole story that I could that I could sort of explode out about this awakening that ties in with the way that Barda comes to um, leave uh, Apocalypse and to, you know, allow for um, love with um, Scott uh, to come in, but also something that could really resonate because I felt like Kirby really left a lot of room in between in the gutters um, for this sort of feminist um, tale. I mean, he was a fierce feminist and, um, you know, and so, uh, so I felt like, so I felt like I was just sort of pulling the stories out from between the panels that he sort of had implied about what was going on um, on Apocalypse. Oh, is it, was there another part of that question that I totally forgot? Oh, I, I was just, I just that I was wondering if you had ever considered because you you oh you had worked with you crossovers and you considered making another pitch. I pitch all the time. <laughs> I have these genius ideas, you know, littered, littered my you know my 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 documents. What about if we did this? What about this? What about this? You know, uh, I just I just emailed. I just emailed the other day, you know, it was just like, I would like to do something with these characters. Nobody, nobody, nobody cares about what I want to do until one day they do. And, you know, I have, you know, I have, I have, uh, I have, you know, I have faith that at some point, um, you know, uh, I'll get to tell these weird little stories. I think that's where I, um, I, uh, I, I can, I can thrive. Like I, I really loved doing that with female furies. I really loved doing that with shade being out of continuity and doing something, um, totally, totally new, but you know, 
you know, it's not, it's not like, you know, people were rushing to buy female furies, you know, it's a hard book to read. It's a hard book to take, you know, it's not a sort of feel good. You can pass it along to anyone and they're going to feel awesome when they read it. It's hard, you know? So that's part of the, you know, thing too, is that I got to get something that's got big sales and then I can go in and be like, ta-da, now we'll do this, you know? But yeah, I think maybe now I will maybe pitch that 1970s Batgirl, but I'll save it for a little down the line. <laughs> Elseworlds written all over it. I would read the ever-loving out of that. Definitely. I'd yes. buy it. Faye, you're next. So I know you've spoken a lot about the Me Too movement and the feminists and how you've been able to put that in most of your stories and stuff. Were you really hyper aware of the um, sort of disability representation that Batgirl gets in her wheelchair when you were doing that storyline? Did you want to make that come through in her character as well to represent those people? I did. I mean, I, I, you know, obviously I'm, 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 I'm um, not disabled. And so, you know, uh, so that, you know, was uh, hard for, for me. Um, one thing that I tried to do was I tried to like with her fighting with the Joker to make sure that it was obvious that she has a plan in case, you know, and that she has those elements in her apartment, um, you know, uh, you know, a bar to lift herself up with and stuff like that, that she's always thinking about those kinds of things. Um in the Joker war, uh, in, um, um, when she, when she's with, um, Luke Fox and, um, uh, you know, she gets out of her chair. I, I watched a lot of videos about how you transfer out of a, out of a wheelchair so that, um, Robbie could draw that in a realistic manner so that those kinds of things were, you know, um, sort of touched upon. Um, you know, I tried to give a lot of references to, um, wheelchairs that were, you know, the kind of chairs that, um, you know, for when, uh, uh, when, um, when in the, in the, uh, you're the villain, when, um, you know, you have the, uh, uh, Oracle, uh, come back and, um, and, uh, Frankie finds the chair that, um, that she had, that she had tripped out. I tried to give, you know, as many references as I could. I don't know if that worked so well, but, you know, uh, to Carmine, um, you know, the same thing with Robbie, um, the, so the chair. So I, I tried to do, you know, um, I tried to honor it, you know, that voice in the way that I could, but I, I'm obviously limited. Of course, no, but it, it definitely comes through. I think that everybody would agree that there was some definite thought in that process and you've read, worked really well with Robbie to obviously put that through into the perspective of Batgirl and the characters. Yeah, I, 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 you know, I did, I, I, yes, that's exactly, I try to do my homework, you know, and, and, but obviously you can't do everything, you know, um, you know, you can't, you, you, you miss things, you know, um, um, you know, and, and also because of the, the amount of pages that you get, you have to take a lot of shortcuts sometimes, you know, when you're, when you're telling a story or like I was saying with, um, the story of James, uh, James Jr., you know, I mean, like mm -hmm. that story really needed like a, you know, if you know the history of James Jr. and you know, all of the trials and tribulations that he's gone through and, and the, the, you know, the, the terrible things that he's done really, you know, um, uh, and the, the sickness that he has, you know, his end is, is very tragic, but it, it, and it deserved to have more, more nuance to it, but you, you're, you're limited sometimes by the fact that you might only have two panels to, to, to get something across and you hope that you've done your work. I mean, I hope that I've done my work so that I can, at least talk about it. You know what I mean? Like when you do panels and stuff and not just be like, what are you talking about? You know, like, 
you know, uh, there are different kinds of problems, you know, or whatever, like, so at least I can speak to it, but you know, but you do lose things. I think everybody like that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think I can speak for everybody when we obviously realize that you do a lot of research and you know what you're talking about. And that's very evident in this podcast. So (laughs) thank you. Thank you. Kelly, you're next. So um, jumping back into female furies, uh, I mean, I loved, loved reading female furies and Barda is one of, I feel like I've said that about everyone we've talked about because it's, you've, you've read like all of, or written all of my favorite characters at one point yeah. or another, basically. So <laughs> I, I adore Barda and I felt like in, in that story, even though she's not initially the most sympathetic person towards um, really she, she gets there in a sense by the end, but was it difficult for you to make the decision that Barda's not necessarily going to be the one who is saying the right things or making the right decisions. And we kind of see her develop into a hero. Uh, but it's this is definitely like the beginning of that development process. Yeah, I mean, I think it's exactly because of that. And also because I think um, what me and Adriana Mello, who I didn't mention, is one of the fabulous artists that I've worked with. I love Adriana. Um, um, we, uh, we wanted to show an awakening, you know, of a character, you know, you don't, you don't suddenly, you know, uh, 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 become something, right. It, 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 it reveals itself to you slowly, you know, um, especially with someone like Barta, who's been indoctrinated, um, into the world of, um, of, um, uh, Apocalypse. I almost said meta there, and I'm like, no, wrong character, wrong character. Um, I, so I thought it was important to sort of do a little bit of a switch where you think, oh, this this is going to be this character's story, but then obviously or really, uh, you know, has a terrible end, and um, and that that's the inciting sort of incident for Barda, which is exactly exactly what happens to her in me and Adriana's book is exactly what happens to her in Kirby's book. You know, um, she is forced to put on red hot boots and dance to death, you know? Um, and um, and so, uh, and that is the inciting moment in Kirby's Mr. Miracle for Barda to say, this world is messed up and I, I need something different. You know, it is her, it is her origin story um, for how she becomes who the hero that she is and, um, and allows herself to, you know, to um, have Scott in her life. So um, that was a very intentional, intentional sort of slow burn. Once again, I, I mean, I wish I could have had, you know, 12 issues or, you know, eight issues, you know, because there's always, there's always like something where I'm like, oh, I could have, I could have done a little bit more with this. Or, you know, if only I had two more pages, um, that's, you know, that's, uh, that's part of the thing. But the other thing that was important for me uh, and Adriana in that was um, the different ways that uh, that women cope with uh, sort of the patriarchy, you know, the way that Granny Goodness, for me, Granny Goodness was the most tragic character um, in the female Furies because she um, really was sort of um, looked over and passed over, you know, even though she's in the inner circle. And I, I always sort of felt like Granny was um, kept close to Darkseid because Darkseid knew that Granny could actually out maneuver him and out you know power him but he needed to keep his his enemy closest you know and sort of have a 
a sort of a das macabre relationship um, with her um, in that way. And that she was the only woman and then she has her, her, her group of women, but she can't understand the way that they are because they've grown up in a different society than she even was in. And so that sort of like first wave, second wave, third wave, you know, feminism that sort of happens um, which I thought was important to sort of stitch in there, you know, as, as well. But to me, Granny was, she was, she's a really complex, amazing character. I can't wait to see what Ava DuVernay does with these characters, um, you know, in, in her, in her film. Yeah, absolutely. And th- I mean, it's uh, everyone in that book, but especially cause I didn't like Granny Goodness until you wrote her. So I thank you for that, honestly. Yeah. I mean, it's hard because it's like, she's such a terrible character, but I mean, like, even I feel so sorry for her. Like, I feel so sorry for Granny Goodness. And I feel like I kind of, I kind of had to try to understand why she was the way that she was, you know? Um, And, uh, um, you know, and even Tigra in there too, you know, like in the way that, that those two women sort of like tried to keep their power or lost their power or whatever. I mean, yeah, it was, it was really fun to delve into. And by fun, I mean, completely horrifying and you know, <laughs> tear, tear inducing. And I did sob, you know, like when, um, when Aurelie died, even though I didn't change anything from what Kirby had done, I, I sat at my desk and wept, you know, it was, it was not an easy book to write, but I definitely Adriana and I felt very, like we were doing something that we were called to do it in a way, you know, that it was important. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you for that. And for your answer. <laughs> Granny was always far scarier than dark side, as far as I'm concerned. Absolutely yeah. right. I think always. that's the secret is that, you know, she could have. She oh yeah. Have taken over. Fact. Kendra, your next question. Is there any project that you've seen come to an end, whether it's comic or novel, um, that you feel like would be worth revisiting with a sequel of maybe Where Are They Now? A hundred percent. If you've read Shade the Changing Girl, um, at the end of Shade the Changing Woman, um, Shade uh, transform transforms into River, um, who is her, you know, her 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 best friend on Earth. And, um, you know, River is a young black man, a bisexual young black man. And my dream and Marley's dream was that, you know, we would finish Shade the Changing Woman and that they would give it to a new team, you know, so that someone, you know, would write River as Shade, um, you know, who was a young black creator uh, and um, and that that Shade would continue. So that is still my wish (laughs) that that will happen. And I hope that someday somebody will pick up you know river as shade and and my dream was that it would then be shade the changing and that you know that shade would be you know could could transform into many many different characters so that's my secret wish that you all know now and uh and so yes i i do wish that it would be revisited i would not revisit it um although i love writing river um uh my dream is that somebody else would would take up the shade mantle excellent answer I would definitely read that. Okay, so we brushed earlier on the fact that you've written Star Trek and Star Wars. And there's this great nonsensical divide amongst fans with Marvel and DC as well. And we're all fans here. We tend to love 
all of those uh, things the same way you do. Mm-hmm. But I've got the hard question for you now. Mm-hmm. Jason Bard or Dick Grayson? For oh, I can't answer that. <laughs> <laughs> I can't answer that because I think that they bring her, you know, okay, here's my theory. My theory in love is that there's no one true love. There are a few different ones. And I think that I think that both of them are her ones. So I can't I can't choose because I think that they both bring about a different aspect of her um, that uh, they both bring about brilliant things about her and reflect things back to her that are different. You know, she's different, I think, with Dick than she is with um, Jason. And I think um, and so I I don't think that I can choose because uh, that's too hard. But I mean, the answer is always Nightwing. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that's what I was waiting for, because the hopeless romantic in me is still really fighting for those kids. I really want those kids to make it. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. Well, I don't I don't. uh, uh, Well, skip past issue 50, I guess. (laughs) I have already ordered copies of both the standard and the variant cover. So I'm there. Absolutely. Totally there. Brad, your next question, my friend. Um, I always like to ask this. uh, What was it that originally got you into the sci-fi comic fantasy world when you were younger? Well, number one, first, it was Adam West's um, Batman. Um, I was, you know, four uh, when I started watching that. And um, uh, my parents um, bought me a, a... Batman and Superman um, Golden Age omnibus, you know, of like old comics. So I would pour through that even before I knew how to read. Um, And then, you know, uh, Star Wars, like I said, was like sort of this inciting um, incident. And um, just, uh, you know, I think growing up in the 80s, you know, it was such a, you know, E.T., Close Encounters, uh, Raiders Lost Ark, like all that. Um, I mean, I had a little brother who had a pull list, you know, so I would always read his comics. I'm French. So, you know, we were all, my parents were reading comics, you know, Bon Dessine. Um, uh, I, 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 my parents are both scientists. So science was always, you know, uh, uh, like cool. Um, you know, my, my, my dad and mom and the family, we would watch Star Trek every week, you know, together. Um, so, uh, uh, you know, they gave me a copy of Dune. <laughs> like it's, you know, it was just. I think it was. I was bred in the in the bone, um, um, uh, uh, kind of thing. Like I don't remember a world. I, I mean, me and my brother started playing Dungeons and Dragons in, you know, when when it pretty much first came out. Not with that first first box set, but the first basic, you know, red box um, that they that they had. Um, you know, my brother and I, you know, um, uh. Uh, would would play all the time so yeah it's just been forever thank you (laughs) i think you and i were separated at birth cecil exactly the same it's unbelievable it's it's quite scary i have a sister out there maybe yeah well i mean you know i mean it's like you know i mean i started going to comic book conventions when i was 11 you know there was one girl in my school who also liked you know space you know weird things and um she would sew us costumes <laughs> we'd go downtown new york and i first my first i 
you know, I, I don't, I'm not really a cosplayer, but the, the first cosplay costume that I, that I wore to a comic book convention was Jessica six from Logan's run. <laughs> and there you go. I knew it. <laughs> Faye, your next question. So I almost am completely out of questions yet again. So I'm just going to pull one off of the top of my head here. Um, I was thinking about how you said that obviously you keep saying that you wish you had more time to develop storylines, develop characters and relationships. But are you maybe like at peace with the way you've ended Batgirl now? Are you are you happy you know that you've come to do what you wanted to do and you're OK with how you've left her character? Yeah, hundred percent. When I think when you read issue fifty, you'll really see that um, that I that I've um, that Batgirl has uh, Barbara has really um, come into her own, and um, you know not only in the main story, you know in reconciling what her relationship with Gotham is, what her relationship with the Bat family is, you know um, uh, what um, what her relationship with her dad is, what her relationship with um, with what she does as Batgirl and what she does as Barbara Gordon and the questions that she might, um, that she might have about, about that, how she can be of service to Gotham in, um, you know, how, how those different, uh, ways that she puts her, herself on the line, um, intersect. Um, and, uh, you know, not only that, but in the story, Stay Centered, which is um, my story with uh, Marguerite Sauvage about how, you know, she wants to stay in her own story. And um, with Games Night with Anike about how she, um, you know, also wants to build, you know, how how does she become better at um, at what she does and how does she um, how does she build up that sort of trust and skill set with her sisters? So, yes, I'm 100 percent like throw down completely satisfied with the way because I really feel like she could go in any direction and I've given the next person many many threads to to take to take her with amazing I genuinely can't wait to read it I am on the edge of my seat I know you are and it's fun too because you know, um, uh, you know, I got an opportunity. It was announced yesterday that Batwoman, the new Batwoman, Ryan Wilder, is yes. uh, is introduced in Batgirl 50, and you know, they had asked me whether or not I might be up for that, and I just thought it was such a perfect way, such a gift, you know, to Batgirl as well. Even though, you know, obviously she doesn't know what Ryan is going to become one day, um, but um, you know, to have. Batgirl and Ryan intersect in a small way, especially with Batgirl's history of sort of helping the other Batgirls, you know, sort of become who they are. Um, I really, it just really felt really right. And, um, you know, with what I know and the little bit that everybody else knows about Ryan's character, Ryan Wilder's character, I think it fits in really well with where, um, where uh, my story with Batgirl ends. I mean, it's a very small scene. It's, 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 it's just a small cameo. Um, but I think that it really, um, it's just a really nice, um, um, intersection and I, and I, and I, um, and I felt, it felt cool to be able to have Brian, I mean, this is already in the, in the, in the preview, um, you know, to have it be that Ryan would hole up at the library that, you know, that Barbara worked at and that she took her coding class, you know, it's like, because that also shows another way that Batgirl, Barbara 
is of service to the community, to Gotham and to helping Gotham in many ways than just putting on the cowl. Amazing. Thank you so much. Fantastic. Kelly, your next question. So kind of a fun one here, but possibly impossible to answer. But <laughs> I, if, if Barbara had a song that was her, like, pump up, I'm ready Ooh. to go do something song, what do you I, think it would be? I might have, I think I made, I think I made a, did I do it? I think I made a, a, a list about, oh, I can't find it now. Um, I think I made like a little playlist because sometimes I make playlists for, um, for my different, you know, for my different, uh, for my different characters. Oh, I don't have it. Um, I would say, uh, I would say that she's probably listening to some Lizzo right now, you know, like, <laughs> got my hand, you know, like, she's yeah. like, you know, I think that she's just kind of like, over it, and like, you know, that's what I think. That's perfect. That is the best answer. <laughs> Thank you. Amazing. That's brilliant. I, um, I want that playlist from you after the show. Yeah, I don't know. I, don't I, know. I, I, I don't need know. this in my life I don't think, without a shadow. I usually do, and, but, you know, I just got a new phone, and then I, did, I synced with the iMusic, and I think I lost. You know how they do that? They make you lose your... You know, if you sync it, then you lose, like, the list that you had on your phone and on your iPad. It's like... That's zero. why I switched to Spotify. Absolutely. Oh, so <laughs> Anyways, yeah, I don't, I don't see it. No, 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 no. Sorry, this is so boring. You'll we'll hassle it. you afterwards. Yes. Don't you worry. Kendra, yeah, I don't, I don't have next it. Next question ready. Yeah, I don't have, I don't have Batgirl. I have Shade. I don't have that girl. Oh, we'll take Shane. <laughs> okay. <That's it> too. <laughs> I think my question is a little bit more of the wishful thinking side because you haven't brought it up and I haven't been able to find anything where you've had your hands in a project. But if you were able to cross over into the anime or manga scene, oh. is there a series that you would be called to? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know much about that. So I, I, I don't think I could have an answer. I think maybe the answer would be that the anime or manga would have to discover me, you know, and, um, and, uh, you know, uh, come and ask me to be their friend because I, I don't, I'm, I'm not very familiar, um, with it at all, but, um, you know, because I, there are so many different, there are millions of books and millions of TV shows and millions of things to read. And, and that's never, I mean, you know, I guess when I was growing up, it was Battle of the Planets, um, but uh, but so maybe it would be that, but um, but I don't have enough. I don't I don't know enough about it. Like I said, wishful thinking. But if anyone yeah. in the universe is listening, goodbye. Oh, I'm I'm ready to do my research. I'm always uh, you're good I'm at always, it. I'm always willing to 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 fall in love with my new favorite thing. You have a gift, right? I had a similar question, actually, but it was more based on, obviously, we can see you love your research and you've uh, read probably as many comics as I have. And I've got a collection which is 10,000 plus strong. But I wanted to ask you as a writer, 
you've experienced obviously Jack Kirby, you've experienced Steve Ditko, two of the men who made everything we read possible. But if you could work with any artist, living or dead, past or present, for any project, what would the project be and who would be the artist you picked? Well, I've done it now. I think I've broken her. No, you haven't broken me. I'm just trying to, I don't want to say a man. So, um, so uh, I'm going to say... <laughs> I'm gonna say. <laughs> I'm gonna say. I'm just trying to remember what her last. Oh, Ramona Freyden. Uh, that's oh, who I was yes. working with. Good Ramona answer. I actually, um, I actually, you know, she's still drawing. Um, and I actually commissioned from her, um, a barda, a big barda that I bought, uh, from her. Um, because you know, so, um, so yeah, I think Ramona Freyden. And I don't mean that I don't want to work with gentlemen. I just would like to give some more oxygen to, to classic ladies. Well said. No, we're with you on Earth. And I could see Kelly's face light up, the number one Barda fan on Earth. I want that too. I have a hypothetical Christmas list from from this interview. <laughs> <laughs> you should, I think it's we not all that do. expensive. It was like one hundred and twenty-five dollars for like oh, a worth single. Every penny. Yeah, I could go on my real Christmas list. She's like 96 years old. Get on it, you know, like. (laughs) She's still working. That's inspirational. Yeah, that really is. Wow. (laughs) But you know, I mean, other, um, you know, I'd love to work with Nicola Scott one day. I'd love to work with Pia Guerrera. You know, Um, there are lots of people that I'd like to work with. But I mean, and of course, I'd like to work with Steve Ditko. Oh. Who wouldn't? Or Kirby himself, you know, that would have been fun. Oh, brilliant. Well, I do believe that about wraps us up. Um, I am blown away. Thank you so much for your time, your passion, your energy. Thank you for some of the best Batgirl issues ever. Thank uh, you. I knew as soon as I'd read Shade the Changing Girl and Female Furies when you were named as Margaret Scott's successor that Batgirl was in good hands. The only thing I'm terribly sad about is that I believe the run ended far too soon. Can you tell us about anything else you've got in the pipeline, what you're working on next, where we can look out for you? Because we all want to know. I have, um, I have a couple of um, things that are not announced yet, so I can't um, say them. Um, but they're super fun um, one shots that I'm doing and um, uh, not with DC. But then I do have the uh, the DC last stories for the DC metal, um, you know, thing. Um, and I'm really, really proud of that story. And I think for me, that really is sort of like an epilogue of sort of what I have been doing in the DCU. So that feels really nice. And um, and then, you know, clearly I'm going to have my 1970s Batgirl thing and uh <laughs> and uh you know yeah but there there are some things that um that are in the works and um and you know hopefully one of them will 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 come through but don't worry i'll have books coming out <laughs> fantastic and obviously just tell our listeners your fans where we can catch up with you your website your twitter any other social media places where the world can catch up with you Sure. My website is CecilCastellucci.com. Um, you can find me on Twitter at, at Miss Cecil. And um, on Instagram, I'm Cecil Seaskull, which was my punk name. So it's um, like the ocean and what's in your head. Cecil Seaskull. I'm still waiting for the second album, by the way, Cecil. Come second on, album? Yes, I need that. We need it. I've got 
two. I've got three. Oh, well, there's only one on Spotify. Damn it. Her, right, I'll, I'll have to track down the other one. Oh, you got to look under the name Nerdy Girl. That was the Ah. Other. That was my Thank first you. band was Nerdy Girl. I think there's two albums on there. Fantastic. They're on Spotify. You can find yes. them. I've got a sea skull. Um, I, I actually got that back in 2000. So um, I only nice. made the connection when you gave me your Skype name. I thought, hang on, could that be? That's and so, lo and behold, yes, it is. That's really funny. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah, that was a fun album because, like, you know, Tim Armstrong is on there and Rufus Wainwright and uh, 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 who else is Melissa Oftermauer from Hole was on there. You know, it was kind of like uh, that was that Cecil Seaskull album. It's fun. Really fun. Thank you. And guys, um, Brad, where can the universe find you? Uh, you find me uh, writing news reviews, DC Comics News. Uh, you can uh, find me on the Mad Love podcast, a part of the DC Comics News podcast network. And you can follow me on Twitter at FlickyB1. Faye, where can everyone catch up with your review work? Uh, I work on fantastic universes where i shout out a lot of books and awesome cool things i've been reading um i also write obviously the background reviews and other reviews on dark knight news and you can find me on twitter at fayclark16 kelly what about you um you can find me doing opinion and editorial pieces for dc comics news um you can find us on our main dc comics news podcast as well as on mad love the harley quinn cast and you can find me on Twitter at Kel Gaines Wright. And last but definitely not least, the wonderful Kendra Hale. Where can we catch up with your work? Um, I am on Twitter at Devour All Words. I do uh, reviews and editorial pieces for Dark Knight News as well as DC Comics News. And I can also be found on the podcast for DC Comics News and Mad Love, a Harley Quinn cast. Outstanding. Cecil? And I just want to say thank yes. you. Thank you all for your great questions. And it's been such a lovely, um, a lovely time talking with you all. As soon as, as soon as we got the opportunity, we, we jumped on it. So thanks for your time. Again, your energy, your passion. And um, we can't wait to read more of your work. Bless you. And we'll hopefully catch up with you very, very soon. As soon as something new has come out. Uh, Dark Knight's Death Metal is on my pull list every single week. All these specials, all the one shots, all the crossovers. So we'll look out for those too. Thank you. Thank you. And with that, I'll sign off. Catch up with me on DC Comics News, Dark Knight News and Fantastic Universes. Just search Steve J. Ray in your search engine of choice or catch me on Twitter at LSteveO, E-L underscore S-T-E-E-V-O. Catch me on most weeks on this very show with my lovely partners in crime, most of whom are here tonight. Seth, we miss you. Josh, we love you. Um, you've got some editing to do tonight, my friend. Oh, yes, you do. <laughs> and of course, DC Comics News and Dark Knight News can be found all across social media and on the internet. And this show can be found on Spotify, Google Play, and wherever else you find your podcasts. But guys, what does everyone out there really need to do more? Read more comics. Comics. <laughs> and we're out of here. Cecil, bless you. Thank you, and good night.